0: and we're discussing the how might and what if behind the end of foundational elements of the agri-food system. Today, we're discussing the end of something that arguably hasn't quite reached maturity yet, and that's carbon markets and corresponding carbon payments. Now, this is a huge topic that can go in many different directions. This is just part one, so expect us to come back to this, but for the purposes of today's conversation, we're going to talk about carbon as a commodity. And when we say that, we mean the tons of CO2 equivalent, which are traded globally the same way that number two corn or oil is traded, so as a commodity. So just the underly- that is the underlying assumption of today's whole conversation. And with that, I will push it back to Connie, who is going to tell us a little bit about how we got to today's carbon as commodity conversation.
1: Thanks, Sarah. Yeah. So when we talk about, in order to commodify carbon, We have to start with kind of carbon markets. And the reason we're we're talking about the end of carbon as a commodity is because it's much easier, I think, to have that conversation than to have the end of carbon markets. But again, to get there, you need carbon markets. We used the Kyoto Protocol in 1997 as our theoretical start point. That's arguably when carbon markets got started. We all know the global warming thing has been around for quite a while, arguably about a century. It's been, and it probably became a big thing in the US in the 2000s with like Al Gore. And it really became a big and controversial thing actually then. Um, And now here we are in 2021, and we're in a position where a majority of Americans and, and a more definitive majority of Europeans uh, believe that climate change is a real threat and that environmental policy changes are worth considering to combat that threat. So here we are, climate change is real, it's a problem, and people agree, mostly.
0: Yeah. And I think that the history, it feels a little, we talk, I think the way that people talk about carbon markets or have in the last couple of years have made it seem like they came out of nowhere or they were a recent part of the the climate conversation. But I think it's important to remember that the how far back the history of climate markets goes and the fact that, yeah, when I was a high school kid in my ag class, we debated cap and trade. And we talked about how cap and trade would be so destructive and so detrimental to agriculture. And that if, if we cap and trade, then basically it's going to put all the small family farms in America out of business. And that the in, in one way or another, we've been talking about doing the fundamental work of commoditizing carbon, which effectively ex- internalizes an externality. That's what this is all about, is the, fa- the act of farming in certain ways puts more carbon in the atmosphere. If we could put a price on that, then we could encourage farmers to not do it and the conversation around doing that for for decades literal decades has been fought by the ag community tooth and nail and i think that's in the last very short period of time like two or three years farmers have really gotten on board with this and really started pushing for carbon markets and i think that's we there hasn't been enough appreciation in my mind of how much of a sea change that was and a paradigm shift and i would like to see a little bit more skepticism around what caused this industry to change their tune so dramatically so fast. And I think ob- the answer is obvious, it's money. It's a huge market opportunity. So I don't know, but thoughts on that, Connie? Yeah, yes,
1: it has been, it is important to acknowledge that it's been a really long period of time that one, carbon market, people have been working on carbon markets for a very long time in the context of environmentalism. And ag has largely been on the, nope, that's not real side of the, the picture. And yeah, economic incentives certainly play a role in shifting that. I, I, I'll take it. I don't really care. I do think that it's important to be thoughtful. And so we are in this moment now where it's suddenly carbon market, like some people think carbon markets are new. They're not, they're new to ag this hype on soil carbon capture, which is largely what we're talking about when we talk about carbon markets in the ag context is relatively new in mainstream media, I don't know if media is the word to use, but there has the like organic before USDA organic movement was talking about soil health and not necessarily in the economic context, but in the environmental kind of stewardship context. So yeah, this, these concepts around soil health. Have been around in in like that context for ages and way longer when we get back into like actual indigenous communities and food production in the uh like we've always been talking about soil health but for some reason things have collided at uh, close to this point in time where there's this realization that for sure enough people care about climate change that something's probably going to be done so probably better to make it figure out how to make that more carrot than stick. And it seems as though there's massive potential actually for improved land management. And again, that can be improved land management based on, there's basically two ways for agriculture to reduce or contribute to the climate change fight. And that is reduce its own emissions, which means which is somehow scarier to think about doing, we'll we'll get back to this, I think, or figure out how you can contribute, you know, positively to this kind of carbon removal trend, which is quasi-geoengineering, but like light, right? Because it's like natural geoengineering and and say, okay, we're we're emissions intensive. We're always going to be emissions intensive. We have to be because you have to eat. That's the way that agriculture will work but also we can be part of the solution in terms, if we separate out and say, yeah, emissions correspond to food production and also land management correlates to carbon removal. And we can say those two things balance out. Go ahead, Sarah.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna jump in there because I think that is a great elucidation of what a lot of people say. I think there's a lot of sleight of hand happening in what you just said. A lot of like equivalent, false equivalencies and some like deep, really jump, really big jumps of assumption that I think a lot of people don't realize, which is I, I know... Faults to anyone directly because ag is just absolutely full of those, right? Like the assumption that like most carbon emissions are a result of food production, that alone is a false assumption because lots of things are grown in the United States in a very carbon intensive way that are not food at all. So I think there's a lot of assumptions in there. But before we get into maybe some of the critiques or, or how this whole system might face its end as we do on this podcast what is the real I think there's two opportunities to talk about here right the there's a market opportunity of if you can commoditize carbon how much can you sell it for and then there's also the kind of environmental opportunity which also of course comes with a a dollar probably amount attached to it but I don't know it's how do you quantify a livable planet it's priceless but I don't know talk to us about a little bit about what that what the market opportunity what the environmental opportunity is
1: Interestingly, actually, I think the Biden administration quantified the social cost of carbon as $50, $53, but don't hold me to that. It's like around thereabouts per ton. So that's been figured out by some economists. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, the, the, the carbon capture by agriculture opportunity is varied by different. Different groups have different projections for this on the possibly- Insanely ambitious, and you've got the famous Indigo Terraton challenge, and I had to look this up. Terraton means a trillion, for the record. So they're assuming that we can capture and retain for some long period of time—that's vague to me—a trillion tons of carbon in soil in agricultural land management, which is would be. Awesome. I'm not necessarily betting on that. Other projections would say a couple of billion tons of carbon realistically can be sequestered through essentially improving de- desertified grasslands and blah, blah, blah. The good land management practice, cover crops, no till, that sort of thing. And a couple of billion tons of carbon is significant. And this is an extremely cheap way to remove carbon. So, that, this is when we get into the geoengineering and like comparing. Carbon removal through agriculture and better land management versus carbon removal. Let's assume we need to remove carbon because we've emitted too much at this point and we're going to continue to emit too much probably, even though, like also we need to stop and slow down emissions, but we also need to remove some. So yeah, it's a lot cheaper actually to use no-till agriculture and to to cover crop in theory than it is to design giant co2 sucking machines blah 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 getting i won't get in the weeds of there, there are really interesting opportunities in more complex geoengineering solutions but this is the low hanging fruit opportunity
0: yeah interesting yeah there's it i think in as is true with many things in this space the 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 opportunity is clearly very large hard to exactly put anyone's finger on and i think part of that whole reality is just that there's part of the challenges we're trying to commoditize thin air right we're trying to put a value on something that we can't see and we don't know what it is i think you talked earlier about it's not carbon is not a potato it's not easy to assign a price to it or a value or to for two different people to agree on what a price should be or what it might be so i don't know we I wonder if you could talk a little bit more, too, about the whole idea around how do we price carbon?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, I actually love the potato example versus the number two corn example. And this This is why it's fun to think about carbon as a commodity, right? Because we've talked about recommoditizing before, and we'll get more into this and in, in how we could get to the end and where this could end up. But it, it's actually much more difficult to price a potato because are we talking about a russet or a what kind of hit are we talking about than it is to price corn yellow number two anyway but in terms of carbon pricing this is a like major ish barrier that kind of needs to be overcome for carbon markets to grow and continue to exist in like a healthy way and carbon really to become a corn or oil level commodity we need price stability and just to give a range of where that could be, a lot of environmental projections would say that the, the necessary price of carbon to get to stop global warming or make its impacts tolerable for humanity would be a price of about a hundred bucks a ton. We are very far from that. Right now it's 50 to 30. You're looking at like taxes in Europe around if you convert to USD, like 30 to 50 on the other end of that. And so A lot of investment projects in clean energy will model like a price per ton carbon at like 40 to 80 bucks a ton, but like leading marketplaces in ag right now tend to be modeling like 15. That's really significant when you start to look at what it looks like to convert your agricultural land and your practices and you're trying to bring in, assume that you're going to have some revenue projections for carbon and assuming you can sequester probably wanted to, you know, I don't want to make any, it gets really complicated when you figure out how, depending on your practices and what you're doing and how, and what kind of soil you have uh, to figure it, to like really project out what your carbon capture can and retention can be. Um, we'll get to that in a second too. But essentially, we don't know what the price of carbon is right now. And that's probably where policy has to come into play. Well,
0: and I think that's also a fundamental place where to sh- to shift us seamlessly into the next part of this podcast which is to talk about how the end of carbon as a commodity might happen i think in my mind that is a fundamental weakness that could undermine this whole system. And I think we see that in a lot of different ways. I think about this in terms of even just, we see a lot of different organizations and companies right now scrambling to be the carbon marketplace, to own that space, to be the first mover. It makes sense. I totally get why companies are doing it. I have been very bold and transparent about my skepticism about what it means to move fast in this space, which I think is a mistake in a lot of ways. But I think, I don't know. Yeah. I'm in terms of, I think one of the deep, how we get to the end of carbon things here is not only that between these different marketplaces, we can't agree. It's hard for there to be agreement on a price, which obviously like regulation, as you say, could do that easily in one fell swoop, right? If there's a standard price for a ton of carbon, then that's what it is. And you can't really adjust it, but how can there be a standard price for, this gets back to the commoditization question. How can there be a standard price for a ton of carbon when, if how long does that carbon last for? How long is it in the ground for? How is it stored? Is it biochar? Or is it cover crops? Is it what practice is it? How is it measured? How is it verified? Who verified it? How often is it verified? From where I'm sitting, the more you peel back the layers of carbon markets, the more totally ephemeral it becomes, and like like very difficult to wrap your mind around. Am
1: I like off track? Yes and no. I'm gonna I'm gonna tie three points together that I think. Because yes, the more you think about it, the more complicated it gets. But also, that's the point of this discussion. Yeah, let me weave together three points. So one, yeah, you need price stability, and price is influenced by a lot of different things. I, like I was digging for the for prepping for this, trying to dig into the impact of recessions on carbon prices, and basically don't know. Ask someone who knows more about that than I do. But like at high level, recessions make prices go down, uh, so that's an issue. Uh, and that's a potential issue right because I'm thinking about this in the lens of if I'm if I'm a farmer or a landowner actually that's probably what matters more actually if I'm a landowner today modeling out my investment in converting to practices that are going to sequester theoretically more carbon right changing my farm practices to increase carbon capture and therefore guarantee, not guarantee, but result in some probable, just like if you plant an orchard, you're probably going to have some payout in the period of a couple of years. If if I'm modeling that out today and the price of carbon I use in my model is 80 bucks, I might have a serious problem. Um, And and if the price, and at the same time, if I use 15, I'm not going to make that investment. And we need more investment in these. And this is where in the like clean tech landscape, these low tech solutions, like like we're talking about different types of cropping systems, indigenous cropping systems too. Not just, we're not making new stuff up here. So pastoral systems, like combining different, different land use essentially needs to be invested in and carbon can be the thing that pushes that investment if it has a known price that is relatively stable. So that kind of ties into, let's see, where does that tie into? Yeah, that ties into the issue of like policy implementation, which gets back to the, okay, historically, AG has not been super on board with any form of climate change regulation, right, sorry, regulation, any form of regulation. I think would be a fair thing to say. And so that's a real risk here, right? And it's a real opportunity in my mind because now suddenly it seems ag is hype on this potential for carbon banking. We're not talking about that today. This potential for carbon, this potential for getting paid for carbon. And if that means that suddenly ag interests are gonna push for a stable and high price of carbon, that enables investment today that needs to happen yesterday, needed to have happened yesterday. And that's that's a win in an imperfect world, in my mind. But the risk there is that what if ag interests buck against this, change their mind? What if we fight the price of like, this is where like so much can happen and will happen in this administration and then in the next farm bill, I think as relates to carbon pricing and that, a lot can go wrong. And then that gets into the, if we agree upon carbon pricing, we also have to agree upon carbon measurement, which is what you talked about, because carbon in soil is a function of time, necessarily. It's also a function of soil types. I won't get too nerdy, but long story short, the models we've got today are far from perfect. And in my world, and in investor world, and think, oh, I'm going to throw money at this problem, and someone's going to be able to figure it out. And I do think technically we can figure out a way to measure carbon more effectively than we do today. But if we don't have an agreed-upon protocol for carbon measurement, yeah, then it doesn't work. The whole thing doesn't work. Absolutely.
0: And I think that there is also a possibility that the rush into, in my mind, there is a possibility that the rush that we're seeing into this space to set something up could be... Its own could the cause of its own demise? I don't, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, Connie. But like in my mind, it's worth building something right, even if you d- don't build it the fastest. Because I can imagine a future where there is you know, some company spends five, seven, nine years building a carbon market, helping all these companies wash their image and seem more environmentally beneficial and makes all this money running these transactions that make a lot of farmers rich and a lot of companies look good. And then a big expose comes out in a decade that says, oh yeah, all of that was fake. It was literally, it led to nothing. All mm-hmm. that lands cloud up again. Farmers got out of their 10-year contracts and immediately went back to conventional agriculture. And all that carbon that was paid for is nothing. And all those companies get defamed and all of the farms are just like what there will be no consequences for the farms under the current system other than just they won't get another contract but they got their the 10 years out of it that they wanted and i could imagine that kind of fallout is like could crash a bubble or could pop a bubble a carbon
1: totally agree agree. i'm super super worried about this this is where like i would like to do and we could do an entire episode or three on measurements probably more on measuring like we do not have a good enough measurement system and it's not realistic from a user standpoint as the farmers are we don't have a we don't have the data interoperability infrastructure today that will enable real verifiable records we we don't understand we don't have an agreed upon way to say okay if five years ago you did this there's no way to prove that happened but yet there are credits being sold today um, actually not credits, removal comes, So today based on that premise. So yeah, I'm like very anxious and stressed about that happening. And I would be so sad about it because I do think, I do let, like, I want carbon and other externalities to become price-like commodities. That is the end game that I want. Now I could be convinced otherwise at some point in time, but I don't know that the way that, that at this moment in time, I feel terribly optimistic. That we are that this this time at that at making carbon market works for agricult- work for agriculture is going to be successful, and I'm very, very worried about it. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, and
0: uh, yeah, and I just think I think there could be so many bad consequences related to that. But that also opens up another possibility, which is maybe the more optimistic end of commo- uh, of carbon as a commodity, which in my mind is. This idea that something better comes along that's either in the form of a policy that requires, from my perspective, I think something that I haven't really touched on yet, but that I've talked about publicly in a couple of different places is just the idea that I think in people's minds, and we'll talk, I'll touch on this again in a sec, but in people's minds, the idea, the reason why there's social and there's capital in the idea of participating in a carbon market, as in companies want to tell their customers that they're participating in carbon markets, because there is an assumption there that participating in a carbon market is inherently good, that you're doing something good for the environment, that you're being an intentional, socially minded business. That is what the incentive is to participate, right? With that assumption, and maybe that's the false assumption, but the assumption there, in my mind, is that there is net negative carbon going into the environment. That's what you're buying in a carbon market is less carbon going into the atmosphere that like, because this company participated, there is less carbon than there otherwise would have been in the atmosphere. And in my mind, the, the thing to pay for is not that a business could have done the absolute worst thing and now it's doing instead the absolute worst thing minus one. Is not, that is not what we're paying for. We're paying for companies to actively do the best thing. And I think that is there's a little bit because, yeah, I think the potential to try and stay a little focused here, the potential that something better comes along than what we have, which is in a lot of ways, there's a gray area, but in a lot of ways, current existing carbon markets allow companies to do that first thing I described to, to do the as long as you're doing not the very worst practices, but at least the very worst practice minus one, you can sell the minus one the like one be- beneficial thing you did. I think if a market came along that was actively saying, we have a verifiable way to ensure that people are being net negative emitters and they're selling their net negativity, their net negative carbon on the market, whether that's, that could happen because policy made it that way, or because it's just a different kind of carbon market, different kind of social priority. I don't know what it looks like, but I As the optimist in me believes that there's a possibility that a system like that could come along. And if it did, I think it would, the value of carbon in that new market would be so much higher than the value of carbon in the current market that it would squash it.
1: Yeah. I, okay. I agree to a point with what you're saying there. Yeah, there's opportunity in lear- learning from our mistakes, even if this all messes up. The other risk, though, is that ad goes back on the other side if they end up getting right. Like, we don't want to get on the other side of climate again and us just uh, say, oh, it's all not worth it. I, I don't know. Like, let's not totally give up. I think this is why it's fun to think about carbon in the context of commodities and to think about commodities in the context of recommoditizing commodities, because I actually think, yeah, if you could verify basically a net zero farm in the same way, I'm not going to get into like architectural jargon on how we quantify like buildings and like the beyond lead kind of stuff, but you could do that for farming. You could have a system in place that is based on life cycle assessments that says yeah this farm and like a great example is like the white oaks white paper like who hasn't read that lca i don't know maybe you. (laughs) Um, you should but if you look at these different life cycle assessments of a singular farm as a singular thing that it is and you look at the inputs that are going in so you know that the fossil fuels associated with nitrogen are Mm-hmm. Are, and this is where you have to model some stuff, right? So that value is X or something. And there's different points in time where you can account for that. And like maybe that gets dealt with via a carbon tax to the nutrient companies. But, I, I, and, but that just means that the price is going to go up for the farmer, right? So it's like you're moving money. And anyway, if you're modeling these inputs and you're able to somehow tie All of these variables to the output of the farm, which is food and fiber and ethanol, but we can, but this is where you start to make ethanol not economically or environmentally responsible. Although maybe you start to make, who knows? Let me make this open, let's make it experiment, let's make it scientific and say we got it tested on a case by case basis. If you can actually start to tie all these attributes to a thing, and this is where, too, like actually carbon equivalent isn't a very good measurement. I would really much, and this, like, Just like we hate on methane, methane quite a bit, and it counts as 81X carbon dioxide as this carbon equivalent. And I I actually, there's, we can't talk about that right now, but there's some flaws in that. Um, So the equivalent is not a perfect system. I would rather paint a fuller picture of all of the social environmental variables that actually matter, the externalities that actually matter within the system. that ultimately produces this food, but it also produces all these externalities. And those externalities need to be inherently tied to that product the farm produces. And then you've got the kind of continuum of license to operate, which is the minimum viable threshold, which is where we talk about can commodity requirements for commodities, can the bar come up a little tiny bit? And then you look at the upper kind of tier of that and you say, can I make more money off of this? Where are the premiums to be had associate? And this is where we get into a bunch of decentralized finance opportunities. I'm, so, I'm sorry that I'm getting blockchain over here. Yeah, I, I think that that's where the really interesting opportunity is and it's beyond carbon and it's beyond carbon as a commodity actually. And it's, that's like a very optimistic picture because I don't know how you finance that right now, like realistically. And, and that's why I'll take carbon cre- markets today in an imperfect system just to change some behavior now because the clock is ticking. And yeah, if we rush it, we might break it. But like for sure, if we don't do anything, the problem gets worse. So
0: yes, I agree. I just, I will just say the thing that I, the pessimistic other side of that coin is that I also worry that these carbon markets are being set up. They're paying farmers to do relatively basic stuff that is not impactful or that has very little impact. And that is a matter of fact, when we look at things like cover crops are already being compensated for at the state level, at the national level. And that also just have a pretty decent return on investment and lots of farmers do them just because they're good business practices. And when we pay for them and create this sense, we tell this story about how things are getting better and we're already doing the work. I worry about the loss of momentum on other solutions.
1: Totally good point. And I, I think that actually should bring us to like some questions that we've got remaining at the end of this. Because like that to me raises the really important question, which is, okay, if we're going to do this half-baked version of We're going to try to continue this version of, of because, because I think broadly right now says that, yeah, we're going to try to commoditize carbon. We're going to try to make carbon markets work. If that's true, what do we need to be considering? And I think that's what you're getting into, which is we need to be considering how we can use that as a lever to really change practices and so be a lever for new crops, to be a lever for more perennials, intercropping, blah, 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 blah interesting things that don't just enable us to sustain a slightly less bad version of the same thing. Exactly. Yes,
0: that is. And that gets to so many other points I've made in other places, which is just like one of my big critiques of the whole carbon market conversation right now is that it totally just leaves out anyone who's not actively involved in an incredibly large scale of incredibly extractive agriculture, right? Like small farms have no place in the carbon market, the kind of carbon markets we're talking about here. They just are too small to participate. We're talking about large scale operators, basically exclusively of commodity grains, which are annual crops, which are already incredibly extractive. If we want to talk about solutions, more inclusive solutions that could affect the age of farmers, the homogeneity of farmers as a group, the fact of other deep systemic problems that we know exist in agriculture, the current system that we're talking about has no mechanism for any of that. It could be a step to a mechanism. But yeah, it's just thinking about how I think that's one of the questions we'd like to leave you with is, Thinking about how we think about, I'm trying not to be the worst and break anyone's brain here, but like when you hear the words carbon market, what do you think that is? And knowing now a little bit more about what it actually is, What exists in the gap between those two ideas? And are we letting a half-baked solution? I don't know if you want to stick to that phrasing. If you want to, if we're going to go with this marginal, a minimum viable solution, I think that's a nice thing to call it because it's very common in the startup space. If we're going with this minimal viable solution, is that how it's being sold? And is that what people think it is? And if it's being sold not as a minimal viable solution, but as like the end solution, the only solution we'll ever need then what kind of problem does that create? And is there a way for us to avoid it? Can we actually just be honest and say, this is a minimum viable solution. This is our first step in a long process that's going to be painful at times. And that's going to have to change a lot. And we're going to have to change the face of agriculture a lot, change our diets, maybe change the products that we make with agricultural outputs. And that this is just the first step to that. This is not the last step. And I'm curious to see what people think, because I think that question in a lot of agricultural spaces is left unanswered because we want to, we just want people to believe that to some things you said earlier in the podcast, just the idea that some amount of emissions in agriculture is fine because emissions in agriculture help us eat. Well, what about all the emissions in agriculture that don't help anyone eat, that help plastics get made, or that help ethanol get made, or that help feed millions and hundreds of millions of pigs in China that like, do they or do they not need to be made? I don't know. We have a bit of a meat overconsumption problem in this country. Obesity is a huge problem. There's, I don't know. There's lots of good questions around. We There's this automatic assumption in agriculture that like farmers are always growing food that I think deserves to be upset. That is not a safe assumption in agriculture. Lots of people grow things that aren't food. And if we're not growing food, if we're growing something else, then does that change our idea that, okay, some amount of emission, some amount of environmental destruction is okay. Is it okay if we're growing plastics instead? Is it
1: okay if we're growing? Yeah, so I think questioning inputs and outputs and questioning is the input worth the output? Yes. The output, and are the good outputs worth the negative outputs? And carbon, is exa- it has to be thought of in the same way. It, it, yeah, I, I won't ramble too much. I'll let you have the last kind of piece of that debate a bit. But ultimately, we're probably at a point where we're going to have... This thing has... The cat's kind of out of the bag here. This thing is in motion. And so how can we most effectively either make this work or make this move towards the next thing and if it's the next thing what is the next thing and how do we get there and then the the final question that i do think is worth considering that we don't have time to talk about that i hope every company is like asking themselves but there's definitely this kind of the history of greenwashing and, and promising and corporate plans but by participating in carbon markets, you inha- are you contributing to reducing climate change? And I'll say that as an individual, right? Like I buy, I actually offset all theoretically my footprint last year, with from Nori and I feel good about myself. Cause you feel good about yourself when you like do that sort of thing. But like really how much I would re- ask yourself, how much are you really reducing addressing climate change by doing that? And does. The quick kind of reward or the, like, is this, is it too easy? It might be too easy right now. It might be harder than we're making it out
0: to be. Yeah, I will refrain from addressing that because I really want to, but yeah, because I think that I will just say, we know for a fact that the best way to reduce a, a corporation's carbon emission is by reducing corporation's carbon emission, not through offsets. So <laughs> just things to think about.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. You can't be, yeah, that's- of, yeah, we've said that enough times. You can't get paid for something that you actually do on the other side, like the other side of the wall. Like that's, anyway. Yeah. Um, that's it. We've gone over because this is, as we said, this is too much to talk about. We're going to have to talk about it more later. But thanks again for joining us on another episode of The End of Agriculture. It's been fun. Super so to- fun.
0: Can't wait to talk to you all about this topic one-on-one and in other spaces offline. Maybe we should start a clubhouse. <laughs>